0: Welcome to Engagement Matters, the podcast for business professionals who want to effectively engage with stakeholders and increase the productivity of their teams. Brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. For more resources and to subscribe to the show, visit jhw.com.au. Hi there, and welcome to Episode 3 of Engagement Matters. My name is Christina Cantors, and I am joined behind the mic today by the Master of Stakeholder Engagement, Mr. John Williams. Hi, John. How are you doing today?
1: Pretty good, thanks, Christina. How are you?
0: I'm doing really, really well. I'm excited for this episode, Episode 3. Yep. I think we're doing pretty well. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, this episode's all about Email, and we're going to go into this a bit later, but email and other forms of communication. Now, I'm sure we've all written emails that don't get a response or even worse, they get the wrong response, which is something that we, we didn't even intend on, on happening. So in this episode, we ask the question, are your emails sabotaging you? John, can you share the story behind this topic? Why why is it important?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's important because um, we we tend to take communications a little bit for, for granted. You know, going back a half a century or so, um, nearly all communication was face to face. And um, sometimes it worked well, sometimes it didn't work so well. But in more recent years, we seem to have been um, blessed with a whole different range of choices, We've got telephone, we've got email, we've got texts and all sorts of other electronic forms of messaging now that gives us a much richer choice of the way in which we communicate. I worry that we can assume that they all have the same capability for communication, and I'm really concerned that they don't. Mm. And sometimes with really great intent... And good forethought, the outcome that we're desiring to get can fall flat because we chose the wrong channel.
0: Right. So when we talk about channels, what do you mean by that? We've already mentioned email, but what other channels are you referring to?
1: Okay, so by way of channels, the most often used is uh, face-to-face phone and email, uh, often texts, and these days uh, instant messaging systems and so on and so forth. But um, other forms of communication might be via websites and um, um, broadcasting our information about our products or services maybe over a website. They're all different touch points mm. with a stakeholder.
0: Or a podcast.
1: Or a podcast, of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're all different means of communicating with our stakeholders, and they all have their own opportunities and limitations. Mm sometimes we need to think through what our objective is and then choose an appropriate channel of communication rather than just pick the one that's most convenient for us.
0: Okay. And we're going to talk more about how you can actually go about doing that yes. later on in this episode. But firstly, we're going to talk about the different communication channels that do exist, how to use them. What are... What, if, if listeners can do this effectively and pick the appropriate communication channel for their message and their objectives, what are the sort of results or outcomes that they'll see from doing that?
1: Good question. They're going to get greater success with their communications. Let's face it, at the end of the day, whether we think it through or not, there is an objective or an outcome that we're seeking for every piece of communication. That might be building rapport or a social for social reasons. It might be more focused on business in terms of understanding our stakeholders needs or getting a sign off or agreement to different things. It might be about disseminating information, but whatever our objective is, we'll have far greater chance of achieving that objective if we choose an appropriate channel for that objective rather than blindly using the one that's most convenient for us at that particular moment in time mm. let me give you an example um, i'm working in the office it's seven thirty at night i've stayed behind late most other people have gone home there's a number of things that are actions on my list that i really want to get off of that list and clear so that i've got a f- fair start at tomorrow and i know that i can't Uh, contact those people after hours tonight so you know I might just email them now that can work but there's a good chance it won't work and in my effort to get that task off my list it may well backfire on me I might end up with an email war or irritating the person who I'm sending that email to because I've chosen an inappropriate mechanism to get across a message that's too complex
0: Mm, for the
1: communication channel chosen. I chose email because it was convenient to me, but it might not have been appropriate for the purpose I was trying to use it.
0: Mm. I think a lot of people will... I do this as well. I tend to go with email as the default form of communication because it is the most convenient one. It's what we're we're most used to.
1: And that's uh, usually because it's a task focus. I have this action on my list. I want to get rid of it, so I pass it on to somebody else or I try and answer it in an email, and it's done and gone in five minutes. However... There's a lot of evidence that suggests that email is a very poor mechanism for communication. If you think back 50 or 100 years, face-to-face was just about the only method of communication. And there's research done by Professor Albert Narabian um, of UCLA um, some years ago now that suggests that the words constitute about 7%. Of the communication value of a message so when i'm face to face with you talking as we are now our, our listeners don't have this same benefit uh incidentally seven percent of what we're getting from our communication is coming from the words alone you're getting another 38 percent from the tone of voice and the change of voice as i uh, explain what um, what I'm trying to get across. And again, our listeners to this po- podcast are getting those nuances from the hmm. tone of voice. What the podcast listeners aren't getting, but what you're getting right now, is another 55% that's coming from my body language. Uh, you will have noticed I'm quite expressive, my hands, my face, and everything else. Yes. In an email, we have only the words... So an email is giving us at best about 7% of our total communication capability to communicate a message. It's no wonder that sometimes that messaging goes wrong, particularly when we're talking about complex things, particularly when we're talking about things that need to be interactive. Uh, Email is not a truly interactive mechanism.
0: Mm. I know in your engagement skills workshop, you use an example of a sentence that's, that's just right. words and you and you ask people to inter, interpret that sentence. I can't remember what the sentence is. What, what is it again? Let's do it. Something about a, a lamb or a sheep? Um, Mary had a lamb, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a website. Uh, if you google Mary had a little lamb. there is a website that comes up for that short phrase, "Mary had a little lamb. It's come up with 14, I think, or more different interpretations of that word those words, dependent on how you place the emphasis on those words. Mm. Uh, I have another phrase. Um, I never said, I never said you stole my pen. If I put the the emphasis on each of those words in turn, it changes the whole message of the Mm. the, Like, I never said
0: you stole my pen.
1: I never said you stole my pen.
0: I never said you stole my pen.
1: I never said you stole my pen.
0: I never said you stole my pen. There we go. <laughs> it's a really fun game. We should. Everyone should play.
1: <laughs> so that that just emphasises the difference that tone of voice can make in yeah. um, in a communication, and of course, with an email, uh, you, you you might have emo- <laughs> emoticons, but um, they're not going to give you that same versatility and nuance that uh, tone of voice gives you. And then on top of that, when we're face-to-face, we get the body language, which really helps to clarify the message that we're getting.
0: Mm. All right. So let's talk about how we can actually do this. And, I mean, we were talking before we started recording this episode and you told me how it's so important that we need to consciously think about what we want to achieve with our message. Can exactly. you Can you explain that to us a bit yeah. more?
1: So um, we've organized a communication with somebody. What are we trying to achieve it? Just just take a few seconds to think, what's the outcome I'm trying to get here? Am I trying to find out some information? Am I trying to build the relationship? Am I trying to disseminate some information? Am I trying to gain agreement to things? Uh, What is it that the purpose of this meeting is all about? If... You're trying to do most of those things, then the face-to-face is probably the best default to go for. It gives us the strongest chance of achieving a building of relationship, an interactive discussion, an opportunity to correct things as we interact, to clarify, and to ask questions and seek agreement as, as required. Email text to a lesser extent phone don't give us that same range of uh, opportunities to do that
0: when is email or text appropriate
1: Uh, short simple messages uh, is great for text Um, probably overkill to try and get face to face to tell you that I'm running five minutes late for a meeting (laughs) text is a brilliant way of telling that or to tell you that the meeting room has changed Um, that's a great way of uh, using text but to try and get your agreement to the next steps in a project over text is probably uh, somewhat futile. Mm. Uh, Email is a really great confirmation tool. So if uh, we've had a discussion and we've agreed a plan of action, then email is a great way of confirming that we've had that. If we've agreed to have a follow-up meeting in two weeks time, email is a great way of making sure that we've both confirmed To that meeting. So it's a great confirmation tool, but not a great tool for what I'd call origination. It's not a great tool for building rapport or for understanding your key requirements within this project or for gaining your commitment to things, unless it's something really simple.
0: Mm. Sometimes I find myself writing an email and wanting to find out information like, I have to need to ask this question and then this question and then this question and then then I realise, this is all too hard, I think I'm just going to have to pick up the phone and call because you realise that it's just going to go on and on or be way too complicated or elicit far too complicated an answer, which might mean that my respondent doesn't even respond because it's too hard.
1: Uh, The good thing about that is a you realized it before you pressed send and b it is a great form of rehearsing your thought processes to prepare you for that interactive discussion but sometimes yes yeah, it is best to <laughs> call it quits and not press send uh, just use it as preparation of course the problem with email is uh, it's only got limited interaction so if i want to put a proposition to you i need to uh, describe in quite great detail uh, paragraph after paragraph of the proposition i'm putting forward to you now it may well be that whilst i'm doing that if we had done this as an interactive discussion you may be able to correct an assumption i've made in the first paragraph and in an interactive discussion it would have changed the course of the whole discussion But because it's not truly interactive, I've now predicated the rest of the three-page email on that topic Mm. based on an error that I wasn't aware of. So it can be quite time-consuming and yet fruitless Mm. to do that.
0: And also, if you spend less time writing email, it means you get less email back which means that your inbox is going to be less clogged. Exactly. As
1: well. Exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: you also mentioned that it's really important to think about what other people are trying to achieve. Because what we've done is we've we've consciously thought about okay, what are we trying to achieve, and we need to pick the best communication channel for that. Yeah. But then when we receive communication through a channel like text or email or a phone call, it's also. I mean, you said before it's also really important to. Think about what they what their goals are.
1: Exactly. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes um, stakeholders might send us a, a text or an email, giving us a, a one-liner um, that they want responded to, which is can be quite a complex issue.
0: Like for example, would a a one-liner come up and be like, "What did you think of that report? Or how's it how's it coming along?
1: That may well be um, a, a good example. The problem with that is we don't really know what the motive of that email or text or that one liner is. So my response to that would probably to be pick up the phone or if they're in the same building, wander around to their desk and say, I've got your text, I've got your email. Let's sit down and talk it through. Because I want to understand their motivation behind that question. I want to understand what they already know or understand. I want to understand what the outcome that they're looking for is.
0: I once received an email from a representative of a a CEO, I think, saying, Oh, what's your rates for a half day and full day coaching session? And that was it. Like, there was one sentence saying, Oh, this person is interested in getting help with this. What are your rates for half day, full day? And I, and I was like, I can't, I can't reply to this via email. I need more information. Exactly. And, and I don't even want to get that information via email. I need to call this person and ask them all these questions because this is so vague. Because my thought was, Well, what's the motivation behind why do they want half day, full day workshop? Why couldn't it be multiple? two-hour sessions or something.
1: Exactly. So I needed
0: to understand that.
1: What's the outcome they're seeking? Yeah, exactly. Only when you understand the outcome they're seeking, can you validate that what they've asked for is appropriate to be asked for. Mm. You may well be able to answer the question, but give them quite misleading information because the question they were asking wasn't going to get them the outcome they were seeking. In those circumstances, again, pick up the phone, pop around and see them and say okay so what is it you're trying to achieve and let's talk through how we could best provide a solution to that rather than just give an answer that may well be a, a correct answer to their question but might be quite unhelpful in getting them to where they want to be
0: mm. it's just being lazy really it is. But then a bit more effort at the start to just pick up the phone and call or have that face-to-face meeting will ultimately save you a lot of time and money and stress in the end. I know you told me a story earlier about how a simple meeting can, face-to-face meeting can save a whole sure. lot of time.
1: Yeah, a great example, a company in Melbourne that I deal with, um, they have um, an outsourced uh, or offshore IT department that um, works out of um, the Indian subcontinent. There was a project uh, that was awaiting a certain piece of functionality. It was quite complex functionality um, from the development team in India. Six weeks had gone past of conference phone calls. uh, Each time, the developers assuring that they understood exactly what it was the production team required, And promising that, you know, within a week it would all be ready. And each week they were frustrated with getting the wrong stuff. Um, The project leader jumped on a plane and went to Bangalore and spent two hours in a meeting with the development team. And within two days, he had the piece of work they needed. It short-circuited six weeks Mm. of wheel spinning for 30 people. And... A constant delay on the overall project that was waiting for that piece of functionality so in some ways it might seem absurd to spend 35 hours on an aircraft with all the costs of accommodation and flights for a two-hour meeting but sometimes that's what's required
0: Oh, yeah, that just shows the power of face-to-face communication because if you think about when you're having a teleconference or a video conference, when you're constantly having to deal with bad internet connection and delays and, oh, couldn't quite hear you, can you repeat that again? That just completely... Um, it just clouds your ability to focus on what's on what's happening
1: exactly video conference is probably a second best to face to face but let's not kill ourselves it's the same as face to face we run a course called video conference ready and during that course run a number of uh, workshops or or discussion sessions within the same room And then with a different cohort of people, replicate that same discussion between two conference rooms on video conference. Doing that same discussion over video conference usually takes about twice as long and gets us almost similar result. Not quite as good, not quite the same quality, but it takes twice as long to get almost the same outcome when you're trying to do it over video conference. Mm. We found that a room sharing camera and box or speakerphone in the middle um, can be quite off-putting. We tend to either speak to the people in the room, in which case we talk in a conversational way like you and I might be talking now. Or alternatively, we ignore the people in the room and we talk to the microphone, (laughs) as though there was nobody in the room. (laughs) Yeah. Either way, we're missing part of our audience and it's very easy to switch off if you're that part of the audience that the speaker is clearly not talking to. And that's one of the downfalls of video conference. Mm.
0: I've run workshops before where we had everyone was in the room except for one person who was calling in via phone and I kept forgetting that they were there because they were just a little black, Speaker in the middle of the table, <laughs> and people kept saying, "No, what about Sharon?" <laughs> not not a real name, but I was like, "But I was like, oh yeah, whoops, sorry, because she wasn't there in front of me. And I just kept forgetting she was there." So, I would definitely say speak to the people in the room rather than <laughs> focus on. So then, speaking. why do we have
1: people connected at, you know, at the other mm. end of the line? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a limitation of that form of communication. It's probably the second best option, but there's no equivalent to -to face-to-face when it comes to rich conversation that can resolve complex Mm. problems.
0: Can I just hear a quick tip from you about teleconferencing and for people out there who do have to run a lot of meetings through teleconferencing, what would be your number one tip for them in order to increase the, the level of engagement?
1: I think a form of video conferencing where everybody has their own individual connection via Skype or one of the uh, other uh, video conferencing techniques rather than being in a crowded room means that everybody has an equal access to the discussion rather than some being face-to-face with others and and others being at at the end of a, a communication line. I think that's probably a more productive way of running a big teleconference. Everybody's aware of the constraints that they're getting and therefore the constraints everybody else is getting. So we're all on a similar footing and we're all taking consideration of the fact that we're all remote. Mm. Um, That seems to me a a better approach than 15 people in one conference room talking to 12 people in another conference room. Mm.
0: Okay. So we've discussed so far to be aware of the objectives of your message and then to pick the appropriate channels for it and then to do the same with someone else and their own message. What if someone is communicating with you, a stakeholder for instance, and they are using the wrong communication channel for that particular message and if they keep on using that channel that just isn't appropriate, is it possible to educate our you know our colleagues and stakeholders on appropriate methods of communication? Uh,
1: sometimes. Uh, we need to be a bit delicate. Uh, I mean, um, it's uh, it can be come across as a little arrogant to tell people how they should be communicating. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's important to be true to ourselves to make sure that we can get the right solution for them. So if somebody is uh, constantly emailing me with uh, one-liners that actually demand quite complex replies, or a greater insight to what they're trying to achieve, then I will make a point of calling them back. Uh, If I don't get through to their phone, I'll leave a voicemail message acknowledging that I've got the uh, request from them and that I need a bit more discussion with them as about uh, their, their true uh, requirements. Uh, And hopefully we can, we can resolve it that way. Um, If they, aren't prepared to get back to me to spend the time to give me a full understanding of what they're trying to achieve, then I'm not uh, convinced it's a good use of my time to try and guess what it is they want and risk getting it wrong for them. I'm not in the game of guessing. Um, I'd I'd prefer to know, be confident that I'm offering the the right solution for them rather than try and um, interpret.
0: Mm. I actually have a friend who's a photographer, a very successful one. He specializes in photographing um, portraits, so he's working with people all the time. He refuses to communicate via email. It's always a phone call. And if he gets an, a, an email inquiry, he says, come and meet me at my studio. And he said that's where he can provide the best customer experience for them and provide that face-to-face experience and that's how he manages to well, that's how he's really successful with with his business because of this face-to-face exactly. communication.
1: Because that's given him the chance to, to build a good relationship
0: absolutely. with the
1: person that you don't tend to develop through an electronic medium like uh, email or text.
0: Yeah, well, it's very difficult to. Yeah. But also
1: get a, a far deeper insight to what that person's trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So in summary... I hope what we've got across in in, in this podcast is it, it's worth thinking through in a conversation, in a communication with our stakeholders. Uh, number one, what is it we're trying to achieve? And number two, thinking through what's the best channel to achieve that. Once we've worked that out, then we can start preparing properly for a rich communication rather than risk things going pear-shaped.
0: Fantastic. Well, I hope you, you can all take away something from this and seeing as you are probably going to be writing a bunch of emails today or tomorrow if you're listening at night, then take this into consideration and think which of those emails might be better off uh, you know, communicated as a, as a phone call or a face-to-face meeting. Excellent. Thanks so much, John, for sharing that with us today. If you want to uh, learn more about the workshops that John runs and also find the text version of this podcast, we'll we'll have it created as a PDF that you can forward on to whoever else you think it might benefit. You can find that in the show notes at jhw.com.au slash communication channels. And make sure you tune in for the next episode, which is going to be episode four. We're going to be sharing with you three powerful yet poorly executed communication tools. You won't want to miss that one. So we will see you next time. Take care.
1: Thanks, Christina.
0: Thank you for listening to Engagement Matters, the podcast brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. To download free resources or to join one of our public engagement skills workshops, visit jhw.com.au.